to The Bible and the English Major. I'm Marin, your host. In each episode of this podcast, we analyze stories from scripture the way an English major would, unpacking the parts to gain a better understanding of the whole. I keep it interesting because I'd love to start a conversation. After all, the best part of any good story is talking about it with friends. this podcast, please follow it wherever you're listening today and find me on social media. I love to hear from listeners. Links are in the show notes. We are wrapping up this three-episode addendum series by heading back to the very beginning. We are back to Jairus and the hemorrhaging woman. But this time I want to challenge you. As you hear the story of the hemorrhaging woman, I want you to consider someone in your world who lives on the edges. Maybe because of the color of their skin, or their physical or mental disability, or their sexuality, or their gender. For whatever reason, they don't have the same amount of privilege you do. Insert that person into her position. And see what that context does for your understanding of the story. When in the thick of COVID, it became clear that the school year would continue online until at least Christmas, I made a mental health decision. I would unplug my kids from their Chromebooks and teach them myself. I would even teach astronomy to my sixth grader. What could go wrong? After all, I am an English major. Only after I committed did I question what I'd gotten myself into. It may be my enthusiasm sometimes crosses over into wild naivete. We survived, though, and here's why. We had a textbook, we had the internet, and we had my physics geek husband. Matt and I spent evenings binging Schitt's Creek and enjoying lengthy conversations about the Doppler effect and why science is stupid. We survived, mainly, because my kid and I knew we were both learning. We often put our heads together to try to understand what the YouTube scientist was saying, and only sometimes did it end with one of us crying. So much for my mental health. Perhaps it's a bit late to ask this, but can we agree to have that same mutual learning attitude for this podcast? Today, we're taking one last look at the story of Jairus and the hemorrhaging woman to decipher what it says about privilege, a message I mostly missed the first time around. I said Mark put the hemorrhaging woman's story in the middle of the one about Jairus to make a theological point about faith and who can come to Jesus. That's not wrong. Significant research went into that conclusion, and it makes sense. But ever since my conversation with Bobby Harrison at the end of season one, I've seen Jairus and the hemorrhaging woman in a new light. One slice of theological meat in Mark's sandwich story is faith, but another is privilege. Yes, we all have access to Jesus, but also Jesus turns his gaze toward those on the margins to bring them to the center. 
This second theological slice isn't mentioned as frequently in some churches or by the white scholars whose work I easily find. And yet it's a message the church and white Bible nerds like me need to hear. Before we get deeper into that, though, it's time for the Bible Story Speed Run. I'm going to recap the story of Jairus and the Hemorrhaging Woman from Mark 5, 21 to 43. But if you're the reading kind, just pause right now and go ahead and read that story. If not, here we go. On my mark, get set, go. Jairus is a synagogue leader. He walks up to Jesus. He says, heal my dying daughter. Jesus says, cool, they're on their way. And a hemorrhaging woman, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, considered unclean and isolated from her community, walks up behind Jesus, touches the hem of his cloak. Immediately, she's healed. Jesus feels power going out from him and says, who touched me? The disciples say, dude, we're in a crowd. What are you talking about? And Jesus says, nope. Who touched me? Looking around for the woman. She comes out of the crowd, tells her whole story, which is very dangerous, by the way. And just when Jesus is blessing her, some people from Jairus's house come and say, dude, your daughter's dead. Mm, guess you shouldn't trouble the teacher anymore. Jesus says, no, do not fear, only believe. And off they go to Jairus's house. But first Jesus sends the crowd away. And then when they get to his house, he sends the mourners away and he walks into the little girl's room. He holds her by the hand tells her to get up, and she does. Here's what you need to know. This is the part where I explain some context. Most of the time, the nerdiest English major parts of this podcast fall into form criticism. I love to uncover the structures and devices authors use and examine what they achieve with them. It's like picking apart a soccer match and appreciating both individual skill and team tactics. Today, we're doing something a bit different. This episode falls squarely in the category of sociological criticism, where we look at the societal setting and what the author says about it. First, we need to review what we know about Jairus. Mark calls him synagogue leader or leader four times, not because Mark is forgetful. Jairus's position is important. He's part of the religious establishment, one who Coogan and fellow editors say has the authority to oversee the, quote, worship and life of the congregation, end quote. He's part of the cool kids club. Privilege because of his gender, social status, and wealth. The woman in the story is his complete opposite. She has suffered for 12 years with a bleeding condition that makes her unclean, according to the Jewish purity laws. This means she spends her life alone. No one touches her. No one calls her by name. She is desolate which we know because she has spent every last penny trying to find wholeness from doctors, unable to make her better. With just these two characters, Mark paints a societal picture. Some are at the top of the food chain, and some are at the bottom. The only one who questions this arrangement is the one made miserable by it. Even after 12 years of isolation, the hemorrhaging woman still values herself enough to seek the healing she needs, 
even if she has to break the laws to do it. Richard Swanson says these laws were put in place, quote, for the sake of the stability of the community that reverenced God, end quote. To make herself whole, the woman puts herself ahead of those laws and, by extension, ahead of the community. A throwaway woman on the margins puts herself in the center, and Jesus allies himself with her mission. Tell me why my Norwegian Lutheran ears have never heard the story told that way before. Let's get on with the show, the part where we really dive into the story. starts with Jairus, who strides through the crowd toward Jesus. A little backstory for you. The religious authority crowd Jairus hangs with has already conflicted with Jesus seven times before this fifth chapter. They probably have a text chain going regarding their dealings with him. Jesus should expect some animosity from Jairus, some slag questioning and testing. But Jairus walks right up to him and, without preamble or apology, begs for his daughter's healing. That's privilege, which neither exempts us from pain nor from needing help. However, as we're about to see, it does change how we get that help. As Jairus leads Jesus and the crowd to his house, I imagine him constantly looking back, urging Jesus to hurry up already. His little girl is dying. Enter the plot twist. We hear in verse 27 that the woman had heard about Jesus. How? We don't know. But we can assume she hasn't gotten any texts. She's too on the edges of society for that. Shockingly, she sneaks up behind Jesus in the crowd to touch his cloak, believing that if she does, she will be made well. Jesus feels power flow from him and stops. Imagine Jairus' distress. What could be important enough to delay Jesus right now? Jesus turns about in the crowd and asks, Who touched my clothes? Somehow the panicked Jairus doesn't say a word, but the disciples do. What are you talking about, Jesus? We're in the middle of a crowd. Their subtext is, And the synagogue leader's daughter is about to die. They're advocating for Jairus, the prominent one with a deep need. But Jesus has already seen Jairus. He ignores the disciples and looks all around for the woman, thus advocating for the one nobody sees. Jesus disrupts privileged Jairus' story, centering the one Others avoid and exclude. Jesus asks a second time, Who touched me? After initiating her healing, the woman chooses to come forward in fear and trembling to tell her story. She could have slinked away as planned, but she doesn't, even though she's terrified of the consequences. She's touched Jesus and made him unclean. She's defied the laws and is now speaking about it publicly to a male rabbi and a potentially furious crowd. Will Jesus call for her punishment? Denise Nadio, 
points out that this story is, quote, marked by the extent of both the woman's agency, her vulnerability, and the fact that Jesus just listens to what she says, end quote. She continues, quote, Jesus has adopted the only behavior appropriate for an ally in this situation. To listen and learn about the realities of the life of this excluded woman and to accept her without judgment. End quote. From the beginning of her story, the woman knows exactly what she needs to do, and she does it. Indeed, Jesus' main action is to invite her to share her story and bless her for it. He publicly calls her daughter, gives credit to her faith in making her well, and sends her in full physical, spiritual, and social peace. So what about Jairus? He must be freaking out about his little girl while the woman's story unfolds. But unbelievably, he remains silent. We've all seen worse behavior in response to a mixed-up coffee order. What could be going on with him? Mark keeps telling us Jairus is the leader in the synagogue. He is undoubtedly familiar with the laws prescribing the distance the woman must keep. Jairus should be furious at her actions, primarily because of the delay in getting to his little girl, but also on principle. Jairus would never break the purity laws. But this is the key. It's not Jairus's high moral ground that allows him to honor those laws. It's his privilege. He doesn't need to sneak a touch of Jesus' cloak because he just gets to ask for the healing he needs. Jairus has his eyes on Jesus, and Jesus has his eyes on the woman. Maybe because Jesus focuses on her? Jairus sees her vulnerable humanity more clearly than he sees the laws she's broken. Perhaps Jairus understands that he too would break a few laws to get the healing he needs. While Jesus is still speaking to the woman, some people come from Jairus' house to say something very strange. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? What? How about some empathy for poor Jairus? How about, I'm so sorry, Jairus. We'll walk you home. Nope. Your daughter is dead. It's too late. This is beyond the teacher. Let's not trouble him any further. The people bear the news of the girl's death, and as a bonus, a lesson about scarcity. Their underlying message implies that pausing to see and hear the woman has used up all of Jesus' power, all of his time, and all of his compassion. In their view, privileged Jairus gets nothing, because it was all given to the marginalized one. But Jesus hasn't lost sight of Jairus at all. At the same time Jesus speaks tremendous freedom to the woman, he also overhears what the people say to Jairus. Jesus doesn't even acknowledge the liars. He only talks to Jairus. Do not fear. Only believe. Then, Jesus allows no one to follow them except for three disciples. The crowd stays behind. There will be no more whispering and wondering, 
No more gossip from callously curious people plaguing a father in his worst moments. Jesus compassionately gives a terrified father room to breathe as they continue to where his daughter lies dead. When they finally arrive at the synagogue leader's home, professional mourners are hard at work weeping and wailing. Jesus questions them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. The mourners laugh at him. In continued compassion, Jesus kicks out the scoffers and takes the girl's parents to her bedside. Does he hold them? How do they even stand in their grief? Jesus takes the girl by the hand and tells her to rise. She does, and her parents are overcome. Jairus, privileged one, there is enough for you. Jesus knows right where you are, even when he turns his gaze to find the woman. Do not fear. Only believe and learn to turn your gaze, too. There's no doubt Jairus has had a hell of a day. I hope he eats comfort food and watches sweet movies with his wife and daughter for as long as he needs. I hope they all get therapy after their trauma. But I also hope Jairus invites the healed woman over for dinner and she becomes a family friend. I hope he never walks past an unclean person again without hearing their stories. I hope he can contribute to someone else's not enough out of his overabundance without fear. I hope whenever he encounters a person of less privilege doing something he would never do, he listens and learns from them without judgment. I hope he still has power at that synagogue of his and finds a way to change a system that shoves anyone to the sides. I hope he teaches his little girl to rise and do the same. will be in Minnesota for my tour. So if you live in the metro area, please go to my website and find out how you can come say hi and listen to my live version of this podcast. Also, some news. There will not be another episode of the Bible in the English major until early May. Partly because of the tour, partly because of a spring break vacation with my family. And so if you would like to know when to look out for that next episode, please find me on social media. I am on Facebook and Instagram at marin.joe.schneider, M-A-R-E-N dot J-O dot S-C-H-N-E-I-C-E-R. Alternatively, you can go to my website at marinjoe.com and sign up to be on my email list. And then I will shoot you a little notice that we're back in action. Until then, thank you so much for listening. I hope to see a bunch of you in Minnesota. Take good care of yourself. Bye.